CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now! Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Cooper alongside Michael Garrell, and we kick off a very busy week here on the Canadian Football Countdown today with, uh, obviously, CFL Free Agency is now right around the corner. It kicks off Tuesday February 13th, that's less than a week away at this point, as today is Wednesday, February 7th. Um, So lots of flurry of activity around the CFL and lots to look forward to in the coming weeks. So we've got a lot going on this week. Let's bring in the other half of the duo, Michael Garrell. How are you, Mike? I'm all right. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm uh, the excitement is building. Looking forward, very much looking forward to see what free agency brings next week in terms of the CFL. We got a little glimpse of what we might be expecting this past week with uh, possibly more trades on a single day than we've seen in the last decade in the CFL. So it's a very interesting week potentially. Yeah, you know, it's uh, a lot of things that have to shake out in the CFL and, you know, it's just so interesting with the news and stuff that has come out throughout the offseason, and I don't even think we've hit a peak busy point yet. No, no, that's definitely going to begin next week, right? So many players, so many free agents, because the contracts in the CFL are only a year or two long, typically, that there's a lot of change over every year, and uh, it seems to get more exciting year after year. I remember last year's there was a, a complete flurry of activity, so I'm looking forward to seeing what next week brings. Yeah, it's a very interesting, uh, it's a very interesting uh, scenario. Now, before we get into the content for today's episode, just a bit of a scheduling breakdown. So, once again, uh, today is Wednesday, February seventh. So, this one you're listening to right now is our Calgary Stampeders off-season outlook, and then right after this one, we will be also recording our uh, the final episode of the off-season outlook series, talking about the Toronto Argonauts. Um, that one will be coming out Thursday, so if you're listening to this Wednesday, look forward to a, another episode being released on Thursday. And then, Mike, we're not even done there yet, because on Friday, we come out with yet another episode in which we do our overall free agency preview and, of course, our predictions as to where everything is, everyone is going to go. Oh, boy, people are going to get so sick of us. <laughs> if they aren't already. For sure. Lots to talk about. So much. Uh, we wanted to make sure to get everything in and not uh, not kind of, you know, do a half kind of show for the final two off-season outlooks with the Calgary Stampeders, with the Toronto Argonauts. But we also wanted to get that uh, free agent preview show in. So Natural Solution is uh, three shows released on back-to-back-to-back days. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very interesting scenario with... Uh... What, what, uh, what's going to happen? Um, so let's get into talking about some of the news from the past week. And again, we're going to split this over, this uh, the different pieces of news across the different shows we're releasing this week, um, because there was so much news to cover. February 2nd, 2018, Mike, as far as weird, bizarre days in CFL transaction history, February 2nd might ha- be near the top of that list. Yeah, I mean, I was in the broadcast booth like always when this happens. Um, but tracking it was really something else. Well, I mean, I, I you know, I, I had Twitter open uh, while while working on some things at home, and and all of a sudden, I, I you know, I look away for an hour, and I come back, and uh, there's a trade, and there's a trade, and there's a trade, and there's a trade, and there's some news, and there's some news. It was. It was one of those days where something new happened every time you checked, right? Yeah, it was one of those things too. And um, I mean, just the way the type of the type of trades that happened, and I guess the players that were involved made this uh, really surprising. 
Right, and in the CFL, generally we don't see a lot of trades. Like, you look at the NHL, the hype around the trade deadline every year, which is also coming up in February this year. Um, and then you look at the CFL, like, not much happens in terms of trades normally. Maybe a couple on deadline day, maybe a couple in the off season. But we had four pretty significant trades on the same day. And oddly enough, the four trades involve two players. Yeah. So I, it, it, start, it starts off with, I've got all of the details written out for us here. First of all, we, uh, we get the news that uh, Calgary defensive lineman, CFL all-star Charleston Hughes is traded to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Um, your thoughts on that initial trade? Well, I mean, Calgary's not going to trade him in Division One. what they ain't great. That would be not a very good idea. Uh, you don't trade one of your better players, one of your better linemen in, in Division. Uh, for Hamilton at the minute, uh, you know, this is an upgrade, and little did we know, give them a bargaining chip for later in the day. Right, yeah, when that first trade came out, uh, the full details, Charleston Hughes and the 34th overall pick this year to Hamilton for the 28th overall pick um, this year, and then a fourth-round pick next year going back to Calgary. I mean, Charleston Hughes is a fan favorite in Calgary. He he, he led the league in sacks last year. He's a CFL All-Star. The only way this trade makes sense from a Calgary standpoint is clearly they're trying to they're trying to make cap space. I, I, I'm, I'm a little puzzled about the move, though, from the Calgary standpoint, to be honest. I mean, I guess it remains to be seen who they're all able to bring back with this opened-up cap space, but, I mean, he was certainly a huge factor on that strong defense last year. Yeah, you know what? You have to make bat-breaking decisions at some point, but, you know, you have to figure out when certain players have Oh, what's the correct way to put this? Timers on them? And when, you know, their timers kind of expire and when they're on the, the downside of their career. And Calgary, I just made a calculated decision, but after losing two great cups and maybe being a little bit hand-tied in the salary department, but they had to part ways with one of their longest-serving members. Yeah, and so he goes to Hamilton. I thought that was a great addition for the Ticats at the time, you know, that with a strong defensive line in Hamilton. Could you imagine Charleston Hughes, Ted Laurent? They have Justin Capicotti, who just signed an extension with them as well, if he could get back to the form he had when he was in his Ottawa days. I mean, that trio, plus whoever else is on there with them, I'm probably missing an obvious name here, and I apologize, it was a very scary defensive line to face. Yeah, and, you know, one would think that, you know, that would be a beneficiary to put Hamilton over the top, at least defensively. And, you know, with the moves that they made uh, offensively, it's, you know, with the quarterback and Jeremiah Mazzoli and Brandon Banks. And, you know, you're putting yourself a, a team out there, which at least at the time that this trade was made, uh, very, very uh, right up there as far as, you know, expectations for the season. And then we get the news later in the day that uh, Charleston Hughes' time in Hamilton is, well, non-existent because he gets shipped right out across back out west to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in exchange for quarterback Vernon Adams Jr. What do you make of this one? Well, I mean, to, to tell you, Vitaldry probably isn't very happy. <laughs> Um, I, I, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Their whole thing was to maybe keep them out of the division. I I bet you they were painting. They had no way of painting, but Hamilton did a flip flop, you know. And and just just to think about this trade here. I mean, Saskatchewan now has an abundance of quarterbacks, and it was a situation where Hamilton and Saskatchewan got together and they said, well. You know, we have a quarterback that we're really high on, and we just acquired somebody who, you know, is very, very good and very, um, and is a very good longest, one of the longest tenured uh, Stampeders. So it's one of those things that in order to get something good, you have to give up something. So 
hard to say who won this trade. I think both teams did well and served the need that they had. You know, to me, like the Saskatchewan side of things, I love this deal because I agree with you with Zach Caleros and Brandon Bridge. Now, what might get interesting with this is, you know, we know Bridge is probably unhappy with the situation right now. He's on a one-year contract. He goes elsewhere in the offseason. Saskatchewan's missing their backup quarterback at that point now after they ship off Vernon Adams. But a lot can change in a year, right? So I'm not focusing on that aspect. I agree with you trading from a position where they, they had strength. And to go and improve that defensive line, which was already pretty good last year for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I mean... Uh, you've got Charleston Hughes now lining up alongside Willie Jefferson. I'm looking forward to seeing that. You know, it's so weird, like both ends. Eh? The, the one conversation that they, they had in Saskatchewan was that they needed a both end, quote-unquote, to, to offset uh, the uh, Jefferson story on the other end. And, yeah, and now they certainly have that in Hughes. And and this Ham, this trade for Hamilton... This is where I'm interested in your thoughts on this, because was this trade made, and I hate tying it back into this, because everything with Hamilton now gets tied into this guy, mm-hmm. because of the Johnny Manziel situation. Because, I personally, I see this as a thing where Hamilton thought all along, okay, Mazzoli number one, Manziel number two coming into next season. I feel like that was the plan up until this point, Contract negotiations with Johnny Manziel go south. He's he asks for way too much money. They can't seem to agree on things. Hamilton goes and looks out and sees, well, darn, I don't have backup quarterback now. There's not too many options out there on the free agent market. They go and get an asset in Charleston Hughes, which I believe they would have loved to have along their defensive line. But now, given how things transpired and that they were left without a backup quarterback, they have to go and make this deal in order to get one. Uh, I mean, you gotta give an arm to get what you want sometimes, and I can tell you that this is a trade, and I'm what you, but I don't think Hamilton wanted to mate, but I think was forced to mate out of necessity. But part of me wonders if this also has nothing to do with Johnny Manziel. It could. I mean, I, I hope not every decision in Hamilton is related to that, and I think we started to see that this week with, obviously, his deadline with for them giving him a contract uh, passed and they didn't uh, know what the, either side couldn't come to a reasonable agreement. So I think we saw that in interviews, you know, Hamilton saying, okay, now we're going to shift our focus. We've got free agency coming up. We need to shift our focus onto other things. And, and, and I think this trade was a part of that, that, you know, okay, now coming into next year, they have a pretty good one-two punch at quarterback. I think Vernon Adams Jr. has a lot of potential um, Jeremiah Mazzoli can flourish as a starter. Now he has the full reins of this team. I, I think it's a good move for the Ticats, and now they can focus on making moves elsewhere. Uh, I just have a real interesting thing here with what exactly has gone on with Vernon Adams. This is like his third or fourth team that he's been with. I don't know and I don't question that there's character issues with Vernon Adams. I'm just curious why he's been shuffled around so many times. I think it's a guy that has the potential, but and people see that as a bargaining chip. But then they also, you know, he's further down on the depth chart. So they go on, like in this situation, like you mentioned with Saskatchewan, he's the third string on the chart. If they have an asset at third string, that's probably not going to see the field much. And, and they believe they have their future quarterback in Coleros, in uh, you know, maybe in Brandon Bridge as well. I, I, I get why they traded from that position of strength for the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Look at when he was shipped out from BC to Montreal as well, in that, you know, they had, I believe at the time is when they had Jonathan Jennings, Travis Lule already. Um, I believe that's when Jennings, what, you know, that same year was the year Jennings had his coming out party in the CFL. So it's dealing from a position of strength. Can I go and, you know, justify this argument in talking why Montreal shipped him to Saskatchewan? No, but that that that's a clear outlier in in the logic. Yeah, it's uh it's just interesting to me because now Vernon Adams is on his fourth CFL team and hasn't really had a chance to prove himself. So 
it's just going to be interesting what happens. Very interesting. And just when we think that's crazy enough of a day, the CFL isn't quite done there yet. Odell Willis also traded two times on February 2nd. First of all, from uh, so trade number one, he goes from Edmonton to Ottawa in exchange for defensive lineman Jake Serezna. Now, obviously, this is a trade that people in Edmonton are, are, are having a tough time with, right? And Odell Willis, a fan favorite there. I mean, who doesn't love Odell Willis? Especially when he's with the Bombers and the supposed mayor of Swaderville. Um, and then now the mayor of Commonwealth in Edmonton and all the things, you know, Willis Willis did for the Eskimos. And uh, they're hosting the Grey Cup this year and Willis gets shipped out. And uh, I, I, feel for, I feel for him. I feel for the fans in Edmonton, uh, much like I do for the fans in Calgary with shipping out Charleston Hughes. The winds of change are never quite... Just when you think you have your your set changes, right? You know your your dividend changes that are gonna happen. You did something that's out of left field, but nobody really saw it coming. Yeah. Now this trade. Um, so first of all, so I guess I'll just go from here. So Willis goes to Ottawa. Ottawa immediately flips him over to BC in exchange for a fourth round pick in 2018 and a player off the Lions negotiation list. So this is what makes this day so bizarre, because you have these two elite pass rushers, Charleston Hughes, Odell Willis, two of the top pass rushers in the CFL. They're traded most likely for salary cap reasons, and they try to be traded out of the division, but then they get flipped right back into their division. What a bizarre day. I can't, uh, you know, fathom that both these teams wanted to try to trade marquee players out of their division. Maybe I don't want to speculate, but I have to wonder if there were side deals. Oh, there has to be. I mean, with with it, how it, quick, with it, how quick those trades were made, like this is not something where oh, I finalized a trade. Oh, I don't want this guy after all. Let's go and ship. Let's go and see who wants him. Type of thing. You have to think that th- this was all like these were set up in the sense that. As soon as Marcel Desjardins is hanging up the phone on Brock Sunderland, he's picking up the phone and calling Ed Hervey in BC. And I I just, like, to me, it wouldn't surprise me if BC and if Saskatchewan inquired about these guys, but Calgary and Edmonton refused to trade them to them. So what the other two teams maybe would get another trade partner involved. I don't know. It's just it's all very curious to me. Let, let, let's focus on the first trade here first. Um, Odell Willis shipped out of Edmonton. I mean, we talked about we did our Eskimos offseason outlook episode last week, and, and one of the things I had mentioned was the the plethora of free agents and big name ones on defense for the Eskimos and how. Many other big pieces were up in the air right now, and they still had a couple of their guys, you know, their top performers under contract for next year, and Odell Willis was one of them. And now Willis is shipped out, and honestly, I think it's a situation where, yes, they, everybody loves Odell Willis. Yes, every I, the Eskimos would have loved to keep him. How Like, like it, it was a salary cap decision, and from the Eskimo standpoint, I imagine it was... We'd love to keep this guy, but if we can ship him out, meaning we can bring back two other key players of ours, that's something we got to do. Yeah, it, it, it's really... Like, I'm intrigued if this the scenario now. What else this sets up in free agency? And, and, and to their credit, for the return, I think the, I think the Eskimos got a pretty decent return in this Willis trade. Jake Serezna, 23-year-old defensive lineman, from Ottawa, he ha- he has a lot of potential. Um, you know, they get younger. They probably get cheaper at the position. They have a guy with potential here. I, I think it's a good trade for the Eskimos if you take out, you know, the uh, the fan favorite side of things. Which football's a business, right? It's not the general manager's job to go and uh, to go and consider, you know, the uh, the human aspect of things as cruel as that may sound. He's got to improve his football team. He needs cap space to do so. He decides that, you know, they can uh, maybe get a bit of a cheaper option at this position. And it's very, very interesting because 
I don't think general managers, and sorry to put this so bluntly, are in the mind of, I don't want to trade somebody to somewhere. And they don't give a crap if these side deals have to happen, if it means improving their football team. No, and honestly, I... I, I think that's the mentality you have to have as a general manager is to not not go in and look at well I don't want to trade this guy. You have to look at the you you know if you don't look at any situation involving any player potentially where hey okay yeah even though I don't want to trade this guy if I can do so and it makes my team better right. if you're not thinking like that then you're already behind the eight ball because someone else is thinking like that. And everybody, everybody, every GM has to make at least one bold move in their in their tenure as general manager. And you know what's a general manager if he doesn't make the bold decision and kind of stick his neck on the line, right? And then of course Willis gets shipped out from there. He uh, so he spends minimal time in Ottawa and goes to BC as. We, uh, as I already mentioned, there. What is what does the addition of Willis mean for the BC Lions? Well, I I think it just cements what I said on, you know, the I think I said this on the BC off season recap that they needed to get some help for Alamanian, and well, Odell Willis does that. Yeah, yeah, a great addition addition for the Lions. I'm a bit surprised that Ottawa got the return they did only. I mean, it's hard to tell when we don't know who the negotiation list player they got back is, um, but they get a neg list player and they get a fourth round pick in 2018. Uh, they go and ship out one of their young defensive linemen, Jake Serezna, to get Willis and then ship him off. So really, they lose Serezna for a fourth round pick and a negotiation list player. Nothing made sense in the moment, given what's made public right now. But in the offices, everything made sense, if that makes any sense. That does make some sense, yeah. Um, talking, uh, Moving on to our other major topic here um, for this show, before we get into the Calgary Stampeders offseason outlook, the player contract debate, Mike. We talked a lot about that last week. It's increasingly more out there in the public uh, with with you know, Commissioner Randy Ambrosi making statements with players speaking out. What is going on in the CFL right now? I'm not sure. There's, there's, there's a real disconnect. And I said this, I don't know if I said this to you or if I said this on the podcast, the CBA negotiations the next time around are going to be very ugly. Yeah. It, it would not surprise me, Ryan. Don't say it. Don't say it, Mike. No. I, I have to say it, Ryan, because it's very, very... It's painting that way. It's. I looked at the NHL before they lost an entire season. They had a broken system. Lots of issues that had to be resolved. The NHL lost an entire season to bring... In money, equality, revenue sharing, most importantly, a salary cap, and that's the reason why Winnipeg has a hockey team. The CFL has a lot of issues, notwithstanding from you know player contracts to uh, padded practices, which were uh, recently addressed. Uh, player salary rookie minimum. I don't know how this gets fixed in a hurry because I just see what a negotiation tactic and quite frankly both sides, the players and the CFL dating in and Randy Ambrosi made a real big mistake in my opinion his first misstep as commissioner by issuing that statement on contracts. And there was a note that came out today by a CFL player, and I passed that on to you uh, to read. And it's on treedownnation.com if you want to read it. The player raises some issues. However, the talk amongst the CFL 
is, and the city of our community anyway, is that the words from these players are empty because the player did not want to put a name to it. And I found that I found that very interesting. Yeah, the whole the whole situation, I mean, things are getting feisty, I think is a way to put it. In CFL circles right now, we had we we had the James Wilder situation, the Victor Butler situation last week, um, and then you know shortly after we talked about those on our last episode, I believe it was the same day or the day after, a couple of players were released by their teams to pursue NFL contracts, namely Jeff Knox Jr. at the time released by Saskatchewan. Um, he was ex- he was due to become a free agent this year, I believe. Um, but linebacker Micah Awe from BC, under contract for next year, released to go pursue NFL opportunities, um, and the team goes and says that they, they did this for him because of a side deal he had under previous management, which, oddly enough, is a guy that's still with the team in Wally Buono. But And uh, the CFL, uh, Randy Ambrosi, then goes out and uh, makes a statement and says, uh, no, you can't do that. Right. Um, so he issues a public statement, and again, he's doing his tour of all the CFL cities right now. So he's making statements on things. He's taking questions from fans, and he goes and makes a statement on the player contract. Basically says that, um, yeah, players have to honor them. You know, you sign these contracts, you have to honor it. And also that uh, teams aren't allowed to make these side deals, uh, such as what BC did in terms of uh, okay, promising a player will be a re- that he'll be released upon request after one year, even though he signs a two-year contract, or forcing a player to like, okay, hey, I'll let you go to the NFL, but then you have to come back to us instead of pursuing other opportunities when you come back. CFL has gone and stated that this is absolutely not allowed at this point, and any team that does so is going to face consequences, as the BC Lions do in this situation with a heavy fine. I sense. And I don't know if this is barking up a ray tree. There seems to be a real disconnect between the Players Association and the commissioner. And it seems to be deteriorating by the day. Yeah. And, because, and, because when Randy Ambrosi came in, remember when he came in and they announced the padded practices and all these other great initiatives? And they said and they sat side by side. And they said, we have a great working relationship. Now, a few months later into February, issues arise. I'm not sure we can say the same thing. Yeah, and, and it's you mentioned that that article that the uh, that the CFL player penned for uh, 3downnation.com, again, kept himself anonymous, um, so we don't know who it was. But he, uh, he, you know, I thought at first, like, oh boy, what am I about to read here? He actually raised some decent points, though, I think, in there, in that, you know, we've done nothing but praise Commissioner Randy Ambrosi for what he's done over the past year for the CFL. I think from the fan perspective, what we've looked at, with all the things CFL has done to increase engagement, all of its public initiatives um, that it had throughout the past season, uh, you know, the diversity is strength among them. I, I thought overall, from engagement with the fan perspective, the CFL has done an excellent job under Andy Ambrosi. From reading this article that this player wrote, perhaps you know that sentiment isn't you know mutual to the players as well. Perhaps he's raising some good points here in the sense uh, that you mentioned, you know, the no padding in practice. I believe it was, and how well that could increase injuries if you have never you don't get the opportunity to practice these things you do in a game uh increasing the season by one week was another argument made how well that doesn't benefit players at all it forces them to be away from home for an extra week i thought there were some excellent points made by this player and i'm interested to see you know how ambrosi takes these into account and in a hurry absolutely and I wouldn't be surprised, Mike, and I don't know where he's at next on his step, uh, on his tour across Canada. I wouldn't be surprised if someone goes and asks him for his thoughts on what this player said. And I'm interested to see how Randy responds. And, and if he knows who this player is. I, I, I just think it's very, and, and this is going to come out across dumb, and this is not my intention whatsoever. 
it's one thing to say something without a name compared to saying something and putting a name to it. Right. I, that that's the part that bothers me. Like, why won't this player put his name out and just say who it is? He doesn't want the public shaming. Makes me wonder if what the player is saying is actual, actually deep down factual. That, or it maybe not the public shaming. Maybe he feels his job is on is at risk if he's named in this. Right? A team goes and says goes and thinks, so I don't want my player saying that. Okay, goodbye, you're gone. I have to wonder if this is a predominant player, if this is a well-known player. Could be. We don't know right now. We have no clue. It, it doesn't sound like this is the first or second or even third-year player saying this. It sounds like it's a player that has been in the league for a while. I'm not going to go on this show and mention names because I don't think that's fair. That Yeah, that's a good that's a good plan. But I think, Ryan, you can kind of just, and I hope our listeners can, add a list of players that I may be thinking of. Yeah, I, I, I mean, to sum this up, there, there, there's, there's a lot of issues in the CFL right now that are coming to light. A disconnect between the players and the league in terms of the whole contract situation. And, and, and I think, as I mentioned last week, I think there is a double standard right now in the CFL where players are forced to honor a contract and teams not necessarily are forced to do so. Um, and, and I think that continues to be highlighted. We talked about Darian Durant being released from the Alouettes a couple of weeks ago, the day before his big bonus was due. Well, two more players this week. The Alouettes go and release uh, linebacker Frederick Plessius, uh, who is due a $27,000 roster bonus the next day. Uh, and the most notable one, uh, just uh, was it yesterday, or I believe on Monday it was, Adarius Bowman released by the Edmonton Eskimos. Been with the Eskimos for a while. He's been one of their top receivers. Had a bit of a down year last year. Team decided they didn't want to pay him the bonus that they uh, negotiated a contract to, so... Uh, instead of getting his $140,000 roster bonus, Darius Bowman's now a free agent looking for work. Okay, I, I, I have to get this off my chest because it's been bothering me for a while. I don't want to hear from people that life is better in the NFL. Contracts are not guaranteed in the NFL. They're not guaranteed in the CFL. Roster bonuses are negotiated, and I think it's absolute crap that teams can, for whatever reason, opt out of bonuses and release, release their contracts. But for those people that suggest, and I've had it suggested on Twitter, that you know NFL isn't the same way, well, it is. The contracts aren't guaranteed in the NFL. You can be released just as much. Except in the NFL, you're dealing with much more sizable, much more sizable uh signing bonuses than that of the CFL. It's a football thing. It's, it's football-wide in pro football signing bonuses. Right. And it happens more so than we paint in the NFL to the lesser-known players to an extent. And it's in both leagues. It's unfortunate and... You know, it's well within a team's right. If they don't want to pay a team, you know what you're signing up for as a player. When you put that in your contract, whether it's in, you know, an $100,000 roster bonus on a deadline, you know full well negotiating that into your contract that it's kind of a liability on your part that you may not get that money. And that is the nature of the business. So I just I just don't want to hear complaining about the fact of oh said player got released right before his deadline. Well, he put it in the contract. The team's in no way to no way under no obligation to honor that. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, you know that that's an excellent point you make, and uh, I think just to play the devil's advocate on that and spin off the you know this is the big argument out there right now. No, the CFL, like teams in the CFL aren't under any obligation to honor that bonus, to honor that contract. And the flip side, which players are coming out with, well, then why are we forced to honor it if you aren't, right? And that's a very valid point. You know, there, 
And this is what I was getting at earlier, Ryan, with the broken system, but needs some changes. This is one of those things. You can't have a one-way street, especially um, with the stress and the physical wear that the players put on their bodies for team revenue. You know what I mean? Right. So if you're going to ask the player to put their body on the line, and let's be frank, in some cases their lives, you know, with CTE and concussions and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, it's been proven to be in football players in the past, then I believe that it should be a, be a two-way street as well. But the way the system is set up right now, it is a broken. It is a broken system. It is a broken system. It's something that's going to need to be negotiated out in some way over the next little while. Otherwise, I hate to agree with you on this, but the CBA negotiations are going to get ugly. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see a potential lockout. I'm hoping that. I'm really hoping that's not the case. Um, Randy Ambrosi has mentioned that he is open to future rule changes on player contracts in terms of bringing back the NFL option window, perhaps, which hasn't been around since 2012. Um, He did, I believe, go and say, though, that at this point in the year, it's probably unlikely, probably too late for these things to change for this upcoming season. But, you know, they need to negotiate something. This disconnect, this broken system needs to be mitigated, needs to fences need to be mended between the players and the league right now because with every passing day with the new news with the new players speaking out they're getting further and further apart and it's scary um here's another thing just to consider i know i know we may or may not be short on time here but we've had about the uh calgary stampeders right but i will say this a negotiation in the in a cba is give and take. The players aren't going to get everything they want without giving something up. So if the players believe that they're going to start, you know, getting everything to go their way, well, I'm sorry, that's not the way negotiation works. And I wonder what kind of concessions the players are willing to give up in exchange for what they want. And in negotiation, it's give or take on both sides. That's and I'm... T- I'm curious to see what the players are willing to give up for some of their demands. That's a very good way of putting it, Mike. That's a good way to sum this all up. Lots of more news around the CFL coming out this week. We're going to talk about the rest of it on tomorrow's show when we talk about the uh, Toronto Argonauts and the offseason outlook. Um, Of those moves, though, the Calgary Stampeders, since we're talking about them in the second half of this episode, might as well mention their moves from this past week. Um, they've re-signed defensive back Siante Evans uh, for next year, and uh, another defensive back is uh, hanging up the cleats, Mike. Joshua Bell retiring after six CFL seasons, becoming Calgary's defensive backs coach for next year. Again, the winds of change in Caltown. And of course, of course, uh, Calgary needing that defensive backs coach because their previous one, Carter, the last name, I don't remember his first name off the top of my head, going over to Montreal to join their coaching staff there. So Joshua Bell, he's been a leader on that defense. He steps uh, he steps away from the field and onto the sidelines now, and I, I think that's a great move for uh, if he was ready to hang up the cleats for the Stampeders to go and offer him that position. Here, here's another thing. I just wonder, a player so shortly removed from me playing days if he'll be respected as a coach. That's the only question I have with this move. Again, maybe it's a good move. You know, they bring in a guy that some guys in the locker room viewed as a player, but now how that player-coach relationship gets managed. Right, because this is a guy you're often lining up alongside. If you're a, if you're a wide receiver, you're going up against him in, in practice, you know, and then all of a sudden... Okay, now listen up. I'm coach, so listen to what I say, right? Right. Yeah, and that, that's my only concern with that. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Getting into things, talking about the Stampeders, Mike, we do what we do every week when we continue this Outlook series. We talk about the 2017 season at first, and I'd say it was a bit of an unusual season by Calgary Stampeders uh, 
standards in the sense that we we saw some flaws in the Stampeders in the regular season for the first time in a long time. Yeah. And I, their offense was not nearly as dynamic as in previous years, but their defense was improved over that of what we saw over the last couple of years. So they sacrificed some offense for some team defense. Was their defense one of the best ones you've seen in the past decade? For the Stampeders or in the CFL as a whole? In the CFL as a whole. Um, yeah, but it, I'd have to think of a couple. Uh, there were some bomber defenses that were very good. There were and, some Rich Stubler defenses with both Calgary and Toronto that were really good. Yeah, so... I would say they're in the top 10. That's okay. I, that's fair. I'd agree with that. And then I'd have to do some some further investigating on, you know, because I'm thinking um, the early 2000 Toronto defense that had O'Shea, Yonder, uh, that was the team that was coached by Mike Pinball Clemens. Right. They were anchored by... You know, a Toronto Ardenat quarterback by the name of Damon Allen and had this shutdown defense for many, many years, anchored by O'Shea, Jordan Yonder, and a few other players. Just just looking at the number of points given up by this Calgary defense, I don't know because I don't have the turnover stats, so I don't know if they were up there in terms of turnovers in the league, such as Saskatchewan or Winnipeg and the number of turnovers forced. But in terms of points against, I mean... Calgary only gave up three, 349 points in 18 games last year. The next lowest in the CFL was Saskatchewan Rough Riders at 430. They gave up 80 less points last year than the next best team. Yeah, but their issue became we didn't score a lot of points. Right. So that defense, if we want to talk about, first of all, things that went really well for them in 2017, I mean, that defense was a force. And when the offense wasn't rolling as much as we're used to, they were still able to step up and win football games for the Calgary Stampeders. Very interesting development, for sure. What else from the season? I mean, it, it started off with a strong season yet again for the Stampeders, um, but down the stretch, really, was when they struggled. They, they, they lose. I mean, how long had it been since they lost back-to-back games? Quite a time in terms of regular season. I don't think they lost a home game at all the year before. They go on to lose their final three games of the regular season heading into the playoffs. Was was that just too much for them to... Did that? Do you think that got into their heads going into the Grey Cup, or was that just a matter? Or what happened in the Grey Cup? Was it, was it the regular season got into their head? Was it the flashbacks to last year that got into their head? Or was it just circumstance? Circumstance. I mean, when you're not, like, let's be frank, the Calgary Stampeders, the way they started the year, were not really challenged as far as playoff positioning, stuff like that, right? And I think when Calgary got into a tough battle with stuff to play for, that's when they had a real challenge trying to flip that switch. And for whatever reason, they like to post the division titles, and that's great because they've had great teams. But to be able to flip that switch from coasting to a division title to now being up against it and playing a battle-tested team that you know had to fight their way to get into the playoffs or get into the great cup and had to actually play competitive games to get to the great cup, Calgary lost a shortage down the stretch of competitive games and adversity. And in the Grey Cup, they made some mistakes that were very uncharacteristic of Stampede teams, and it cost them. Right. And, and, and to, to back up what you said there, I mean, I think it was week 12 or week 13, basically, where the Stampeders clinched a playoff spot. So, and granted, you know, they didn't clinch first place and like Winnipeg hung around for a while in the first place for the division race especially with Calgary losing those last couple games of the year both the Eskimos and the Bombers were only 
only three points away from claiming first place in the West Division. But for all intents and purposes, I mean, Calgary had it locked up for the last several weeks of the season. They, they, they play that game, their fourth last game of the year, against the Hamilton Tiger Cats, where, where the Stampeders might have played one of the worst games I've seen them play in a while. Mm-hmm. But they pull out on top. And at that time, I remembered saying, you know, that this is what makes Calgary so good. This is why I never pick against Calgary. Whenever we did our weekly picks, mm-hmm. I always pick Calgary because even when they're off their game, like you have to play a perfect football game to beat the Calgary Stampeders is something I've always said. Because if you don't beat them on one side of the ball, or if you beat them on two sides of the ball and they beat you on the other, they're still going to find a way to win. And yeah. Another interesting thing. I, I believe the game you're referencing is the game where Calgary got the PI. Yeah, yeah. To set up the game winning score. You know, it's just Calgary does everything right to pull out games. You know, Calgary can play a brutal game. It's kind of like the Winnipeg Jets now. Eh? They've kind of developed that mentality that even if we play a really bad game, hence last night against the Arizona Coyotes. We can still find a way to win, and Calgary has that. We've been here before. We've been battle-tested. We've seen everything. We're experienced enough to, even though we made a mistake, we're good enough to overcome them. Right. And that's one characteristic that you will never be able to take away from Stampede football teams over the last, you know, five years. Except for in the Grey Cup. Except for in the Grey Cup. And... I don't know. Like you talk to people in Calgary, they are mystified about being let down. You know, it's like you're so good, right? But yet you're waiting for that letdown to happen in the biggest game of the season, and then that, then it happens, and you're not at all surprised. And I was talking to to family that I have in Calgary uh, when we went there in in December. They weren't at all surprised with the Stampeders lost the great cup because they said quote we're used to it yeah and and and, and that's the like the calgary step eaters are such an enigma because this is a team that makes winning look easy a lot of times right but they can't they, they don't make it look easy when it absolutely counts yeah yeah and that's the really puzzling thing that i i i can't figure out you know how what happened right in the sense that okay Ottawa goes and upsets them in the Grey Cup in 2016. What a, what a game that was! And, and maybe and maybe the game of the year or the Grey Cup game in the last ten years, and the one-handed catch in the end zone by Ernest Jackson. Right, incredible game, incredible heartbreak for the Stampeders. You, you think that this can't possibly happen again, mm-hmm. but it did. Same situation, arguably against the Argos. They were the heavy favorites coming into the game. A couple key mistakes, you know, they get put off their rhythm. Not bigger, not bigger than the mistake down near the goal line, and the outdoor guy chases after one of the receivers strips the ball out. The ball gets picked up and ran 100 plus yards for a touchdown, and then the ball Levi Mitchell pit in the end zone trying to win the game, which I still to this point am mystified, but they didn't go to overtime. I, I, I mean, let's put it this way. If we want to sum up the overall result of the 2017, say, 2017 season for the Calgary Stampeders, for all intents and purposes, you can chalk it up as a success, except for maybe three plays in the Grey Cup. And kind, of a box go- of, kind of a box of chocolates where you don't know what you're going to get. And it just goes to show that you can have a great year, and for all intents and purposes, in that Grey Cup, they played, I mean, Bowie Vi Mitchell played almost as perfect of a Grey Cup game as he could have. Mm-hmm. Granted, they did leave some points off the board in that wild first half in the snowball there. Um, but it was really three plays. Like, all it took for Toronto was three plays. 100-yard touchdown pass to DeVere Posey. Um, that fumble recovery, that 100-and-something-yard fumble by Kamar Jordan. And then mm-hmm. that interception that Bowie by Mitchell throws into the end zone on that late drive. You can define the Argos Grey Cup win in those three plays because Calgary, I mean, they dominated that first half. And it just mystifies me 
that based on how good they are in the regular season every year, how good they kicked off that Grey Cup, that at the end of the day, we talk about this, we sit here looking at what the heck happened, Calgary. Well, let, let me tell you this as well. I, I know the past of the past, and things wouldn't have happened if, you know, said things happened. The Bombers are a missed field goal away against Toronto and a non-PI call away from finishing first in the West. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios like that you can look at. So, see, so that's the margin of error in the CFL standings. The margin of error in a football game, three plays the final football game. I've said it countless times on this show and the people that I talked to in the CFL. Toronto had three plays that defined their great top win. Calgary did not execute three plays properly. And in a close game where you leave points on the field, that's, that's your difference right there. So looking at the players in 2017, who performed really well for you? Who was someone that maybe surprised you a little or stood out for Calgary? Uh, Daniels, Devaris Daniels. Um, and then that defender uh, for Calgary, I forget his name. Uh, Alex Singleton? No, no, no. He didn't get victimized for a touchdown until the great top game. Tommy Campbell. Tommy Campbell, that's the guy. Right. Uh, it's, it's one thing to play... Defense, it's another to not give up a touchdown against you until the biggest game of the season. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. And, of course, he naturally goes and doesn't give up a single touchdown all season and then gets beaten for a 100-yard score in the Grey Cup. Uh, you can't make stuff like, like stuff like that up. But there were, I mean, there were several players for the Calgary Stampeders that, that just stepped up big time, especially on defense. Alex Singleton... He won Defensive Player of the Year, I believe, correct? Yeah, I've been so. Just an incredible year. I mean, this kid, second season in the CFL, and he's the leader on the league's best defense and wins Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, I am excited to watch Alex Singleton in 2018 because, I mean, two years in, he's only going to get better. I mean, that's the scary part, and you might be looking at an NFL career for him. Um, other guys on that defense that stepped up. You mentioned Tommy Campbell. Shaq Richardson, he's off for an NFL opportunity already. Uh, I believe he signed with the Washington Redskins. Sounds sound, sound about right. Nope, signed with the Oakland Raiders, sorry. Oh, Oakland, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so you've got guys like that that have just stepped up for the Calgary Stampeders last year. You want to talk about offensively? I mean, look at how many injuries they had in that wide receiver. It was a constant rotation. You you can look at guys like Reggie Bagleton, Jawan Breskison, um, Kamar Jordan had a big year. Mark and Michelle definitely, you know, coming out party this year. I believe this was his first year in the CFL. So a lot of guys stepped up for the Stampeders on both sides of the ball. Again, it's just like they had an all-star type of team. And we're not even talking about their quarterback, who is one of the best in the CFL, if not the best in the CFL, having an MLP type season. For once, this wasn't on the shoulders of Bo Levi Mitchell. But yeah, Bo Levi Mitchell found a way to lose the game by taking some chances. Well, I, I wouldn't say he found a way to lose the game. I don't think you can pin that loss on him. But... No, I, I don't. He elected to go for the win, and... Quite frankly, I probably would have done the same. It's like try. It's like uh, doing the Philly special on the fourth down near the goal line in the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and, and but uh, jokes aside, or Super Bowl references aside, I mean, for 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 Calgary, the there there was a lot of guys that stepped up, like we mentioned. I mean, we can talk about Roy Finch as well. He had an outstanding season. Special teams player of the year, I believe, uh, was Roy Finch. So, and I, I believe I believe also a pending free agent. Yes. Yep. I don't believe you signed. Uh, I haven't checked in the last couple of days, but. Um, in terms of guys that were maybe either injury or just uh, not stepping up the way you expected them to in uh, for the Stampeders in 2017, does anyone fit that list for you? 
It's very hard because the Calgary Stampeders had a mere perfect season. Take away three plays in the Grey Cup. I mean, what do you define as disappointing when you have the year that Calgary had? Yeah, I don't see anyone, honestly, that sticks out on that list to me. The only one, <laughs> whenever we say, like, disappointment, it's kind of with an asterisk of disappointment by Calgary standpoint standards, right? In the right. sense that, can you consider Bo Levi Mitchell's season a disappointment? Yeah, maybe, based on what we come to expect from Bo Levi Mitchell. Can you consider it a disappointment by global CFL standards? No, because right. he's still had a heck of a season, right? But because of what we've come to expect from the Stampeders, we, we, we see it as a disappointment. It's a very interesting uh, interesting dynamic, for, for sure. So getting into talking about this year's free agent list, I, I'm very interested to see what Calgary does this offseason, because I think we debated about it after the Grey Cup and before the Grey Cup when we proposed what's going to happen if they do lose. Like, what does Calgary do coming into next year? Do they stick with what they've got? And Because clearly they know how to win football games, and they're so close in the Grey Cup. Or is this a sign that they need to make changes? What do you expect to see from them this offseason? A lot of what we've seen already. Uh, to me, it sounds like they've come across the problem being mental, and in order to get rid of the great cup problems that appear to be mental right now more than anything, it might be trying to change the culture just a tiny little bit without necessarily blowing the whole thing up, you know what I mean? Right, a couple different moves here or there you, you namely mean, right? You talked about tweaking uh, a roster instead of a full-blown rebuild. And sometimes mental hurdles are just too much to overcome, and I wonder if twice is just too much to overcome. Is there any pers- any position of key for the Stampeders that you can think of that they really need to focus on for next year? I think they've got to find a way to refine some of their tools offensively and maybe add a piece or two defensively to make them even better. Yeah, and, and maybe I'll add in there... You know, maybe shore up the offensive line a little bit. It sounds crazy to talk about because Calgary is known for year after year having one of, if not the best offensive line in the CFL. Although I'll argue that uh, perhaps the Bombers now hold that title of the best. But Calgary's always been known for its great offensive line. Bo Levi Mitchell has tons of time back there all the time. But this year, I think we started to see a little bit, and maybe it was just due to injuries that, you know, teams were getting to Bo Levi Mitchell. They were throwing him off his game. We know he had that shoulder injury that he was dealing with during the season. So maybe that's an area where the uh, where the Stampeders need to, you know, shore things up a little bit. That's for sure. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where I don't think Calgary needed the full-blown rebuild. They just need a retool or a tweak. Right. So looking at, looking at their free agent list here, I've pulled it up. Um, let's start on the offensive side of the ball here. Uh, losing uh, running back Rob Cote to retirement. We mentioned that last week. Um, they have a lot of lots up in the air at running back right now for Calgary yeah. because Rob Cote retires. Roy Finch got some decent time at running back this year. Also, I mean, their special teams star. He's a free agent. Jerome Messam is a free agent as well. Um, and Anthony Woodson. So, I mean... But so, so anyways, lots up in the air for Calgary uh, at running back coming into free agency. You look at wide receiver as well. There's going to be some changes there. DeVaris Daniels is a free agent. Um, Kamar Jordan was extended already. Lamar Durant was extended. Rory Colert's a free agent. Anthony Parker's a free agent. Um, so maybe a couple moving pieces in terms of wide receiver for me. I'm interested to see what happens with DeVaris Daniels. Yeah, and people have a link to Winnipeg. I'm not so sure. And Montreal could use the guy like that. Toronto could use the guy like that to replace Posey. It's it's very interesting because everybody has these big name free agents who are due for for said raises. I'm just wondering how much money is out there to be spent. And if a lot of these players are going to be disappointed with the raises that they get. Um, looking at the offensive line for Calgary, I mentioned that's a position to maybe tinker with a little bit. Um, 
The only free agent they have is Cameron Thorne. They did lose Dan Faderkyle to uh, retirement. He he decided to retire a couple days ago. So uh, maybe a couple changes on that offensive line coming for the Stampeders. Flip over to the defensive side of the ball. Lots of big names they're losing at defense. Defensive back is going to be an interesting position to watch here for Calgary because Josh Bell retires. Tommy Campbell that we talked about, excellent season. He's a free agent. I'm sure Calgary wants to bring him back. Joe Burnett's a free agent. We're led to believe he's not going to be back in Calgary because he went and, you know, talked this week about how he was very uh, pissed off about not being, uh, not getting to play in the Grey Cup. Um, who else do we have here? Uh, Jamar Wall, also another big name defensive back free agent for the Stampeders. So we're looking at lots of change potentially in that position. I'm just floored at the number of receivers that ha- that haven't. Uh, oh, sorry, the number of players that haven't signed lead wide. Well, everyone wants to see what's out there for them, right? I, I think that's a case of everyone wants to see what options are available to them. Um, and with contracts changing each year, we're only going to get more of that. Yeah, and you know, it's just very interesting teams with the one way one way deals or sorry one year deals. Right. Um, rounding out the free agents here for Calgary at linebacker, we've got uh, Maleki Harris, um, Duran Mayo. Uh, those are the two only two linebacking free agents, and then on the defensive line, you've got um, Kashawn Fraser, Michael Clawson, and that's it. So, so, so looking at this list of free agents, maybe offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball. If you can only pick one. Who, who's a guy they have to bring back? Now, taking into account at this point that uh, free agency opens in six days, and while well, they might not actually get a chance to bring any of these guys back, but if they could fit it in yet, one guy on each side of the ball, who's the must-have for you? To me, it might be Roy Finch. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Because, I don't know, it doesn't sound like what they're doing is... Uh... They, they don't seem to know what they're doing at running back right now. And and to me, they have a lot of questions. And I wonder if they're ready to carry the mail with Roy Finch at running back. That, that's that's what intrigues me. Jerome Messam, a free agent as well. I don't know. Do they bring back Jerome Messam? Or does Calgary, you know, look maybe, okay, we'll, we'll use Finch at running back and as a kick returner here. Or do you do you kind of you know like having him in that backup role and saving him for the special teams duties? I don't know. It's Roy Finch didn't want to want to raise right, and right. he might want to get removed off of special teams if he sees there's a chance to open up uh, and maybe be the number one running back. That being said, I think the only thing that hurts Roy Finch is that he's an import or a uh, not an international. International player, that's the word I'm looking for. It used to be import, uh, import, non-import, but <laughs> I wonder if he's looking at the, the, the situation. The only thing that hurts him is the fact that he's an uh, international uh, player, and Calgary's going to have to maybe find another spot for a Canadian on the roster, you know, if they choose to move on from Jerome Massive. And the name that is really intriguing for me to possibly end up in Calgary and I know we're going to talk about this on the uh, show that get re- gets released tomorrow, is Tain in LaFrance. Right. That, uh, yeah. If he's the possible uh, replacement for Jerome Master, the younger version, had to deal with kind of injuries, but had a great year in Ottawa. Uh, last year in the backup, had a great game uh, in the East Final. Uh, yeah, it's a very interesting, uh, very interesting scenario. Yeah, for me, it's either Roy Finch or Devaris Daniels. It's crazy that I'm leaving Jerome Messam off that list. But, I, I mean, one I could pick from a hat between those three guys. I think they all bring a lot of value to that Stampeders offense um, slash special teams. Defensive side of the ball, I, I think it's Tommy Campbell. I think that uh, based on you know what we've talked about already, Tommy Campbell is the must-bring back on that defense especially given that they're losing Shaq Richardson, especially that given that they're losing Josh Bell. 
to free agency. Uh, those are two really good defensive backs. I think it's crucial they bring back a guy like Tommy Campbell or a Jamar Wall. Yeah. Uh, to me, you know, the winds have changed in Calgary are coming. It's just can they stop the residual damage of potential players that they're about to lose? Calgary strikes me as a team that could be very active coming that sweep. Given some of the salaries that are coming off the books, I have to think that there's a lot of money out there to be spent. And, and, but I, I do have to wonder, though, I, and of course, you know, when we talk about players uh, who won't be back next year, I mean, Charleston Hughes, as we talked about at the start of the show, is a major one on that defensive line. I forgot about that. Um, but but in terms of the Stampeders, I don't know if we'll ever see them go out and be super active, throw Ottawa or Winnipeg or Saskatchewan amounts of money at player at a plethora of players to go and change things because you have to remember what John Huffnagel's greatest strength is. It's it's finding the diamonds in the rough. I mean, you look at Calgary's wide receiving group throughout this season. There were several guys in there that honestly I had never heard of much of coming into this year that really stepped up big time. I'm talking about like a guy like Reggie Bagleton, uh, Mark and Michelle in his first year. I mean, the, the Stampeders have a knack for finding these guys, and I don't think they need to go out and spend big money on free agents that are well-known. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because I would consider to be Calgary a very good destination for free agents given the winning trap record minus losing a couple of great tops. But Calgary, to me, should be a team to watch that with the free agency. And that's a good way to sum it up. Any final thoughts on the Stampeders before we close this episode out, Mike? Well, what do they have to do to come out on the right end of the Grey Cup? I don't know if it's uh, roster fixes or mindset or game preparation, but I'll tell you what, if Calgary wins the West this, cup, this coming up year and finds a way to lose another Grey Cup, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, me either. That does it for the Calgary Stampeders offseason outlook. Again, scheduling-wise, lots more content to come this week from us. Um, tomorrow, we will uh, be releasing our Toronto Argonauts offseason outlook, which we will be recording as soon as we're done this one here. Um, and then on Friday, we will be doing our, product- our predictions as to where the uh, top free agents will go. We'll also kind of take a look at the big keys for each of the teams as they get ready for free agency to open on Tuesday next week, Mike. The excitement is definitely building. Yeah, and I'm very excited, and we finally hit the middle of February and a chance to move, uh, see people change addresses and area codes. That's all for this episode. Again, stay tuned for the other ones coming out this week on our SoundCloud and iTunes pages. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Bye. Bye.